every pastor I know uh, what's going to happen on Monday night of a revival. And uh, people have schedules and things are going on. So I appreciate you being here. And it encourages me. I'm sure it encourages the pastor to see you here in your place uh, on a Monday night of a revival. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for him. Uh, he did take me to a nice jujitsu place and got to get a little bit of sweat going on there. And, uh, and uh, he said he needed, he needed to go to the hospital if he did the warm-ups. I did, too. I just acted like I didn't. <laughs> and uh, you ever been on a long hike somewhere? And uh, I was in Idaho a few months ago. And uh, no, about a month and a half ago, I was in Idaho, and I was doing a college and career retreat, and a bunch of young people, you know, and they always want to do everything crazy, and, and uh, the one who was hosting us was actually a U.S. Marshal, and uh, he, they, he used to be stationed in Wisconsin, and then he, got, and then he went back to where he grew up there, and, and uh, him and his wife, they're like, hey, we, need, we want to take you to the mountain lake, and I'm like, well, that sounds great, you know, and they're like, no, no, it, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. And they said, it's just a two-mile hike. Take you about 30 minutes. And I was like, man, perfect. And I put on my shoes and, and got ready to go. And uh, they neglected to tell me it was two miles straight up. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I, I was so tired up there. I had to, I, about four times up on that trip, I had to stop. And, I mean, I surrendered to go to the mission field if God would get me off of that mountain. <laughs> and I was trying to call in SOS. Uh, Emergency numbers, the helicopters, and uh, but it was beautiful when we got up there. But uh, but I'm gonna tell you, I've been walking someplace like that, and you're trying like when your partner comes up next to you, trying to sound like you're not trying to die, you know, <laughs> like every breath I need. <laughs> and uh, so I appreciate him, and and uh, hopefully I didn't look too bad, but it was a lot of fun. Um, always glad to get a chance to train here. Normally I'd be teaching jujitsu. Uh, actually, I'd be done by now. We're two hours ahead of you here, and so. Um, I would have taught twice today already, at noon and then at night, and uh, the Lord has allowed me to do that, and, uh, and it's a privilege, but it's a privilege to preach, too, and I like, I like doing both, and the Lord has allowed me to be able to do both, and, and uh, we brought as a partner into the gym last year, and God's really blessed us, and, and uh, really, I'm looking forward to doing, really, one of the biggest parts of it, I want to do more for missions, and uh, I asked the Lord to increase what we're doing. And since we took over, we've just about doubled uh, in size. And so uh, we'll give more to missions this year than we ever have. And so what a blessing that is to see God be able to use that and have something to do with my boys and, and uh, appreciate that. And it gives me a lot of sermon illustrations, too. And so we appreciate that. Isaiah chapter number six. Why don't you stand with me one time for the reading of God's word? And uh, we're going to be about, oh, it's about 739 right now. So I promise you, we will not get out any later then 10 p.m. <laughs> now nah, I'm mindful of that. Some of you just started school, and, and uh, I scared about half of you right there. Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered, or two, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And he cried, and one cried, excuse me, unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Here's a sermon tonight. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Mine eyes have seen the King. My Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And Lord, this is, uh, to me, a familiar sermon. It's familiar territory. But Lord, I pray that you would make it uncommon tonight, even in my heart. And Lord, them as they listen, I pray that you would be magnified by this message I've said it time and time again, but these dear people, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And I pray that that would be the case tonight. Lord, I pray if there's any lost man, woman, boy, girl, child, that they'd be saved tonight. Lord, I pray for conviction upon their souls. I pray they would understand that they are lost and undone and will spend eternity in hell without Christ. If they will not have Christ now, he will not have them when they stand before him. 
I pray that you convict them, Lord, but for the saved in here, and that's probably the majority of the crowd here tonight, could you show us some of who you are? Could you shed some light into our broken hearts tonight? Because we do need to know the truth, and we need something we can feel. Please make it real tonight. We'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated here tonight. There's something about as we come into this episode of Scripture here, the Bible says that here is Isaiah the prophet. He's been seeing many visions. He's had a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the next chapter comes some of the more famous verses in all of the Bible where the Bible says, Thou shalt call his name Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. And also the verses, I think it's verse number 14 of chapter 7. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. What a wonderful book of prophecy the book of Isaiah is. What a wonderful book of visions the book of Isaiah is. What a wonderful book. I think about uh, chapter 61, the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even 53, the, uh, the Jews often refer to it as the hidden chapter, uh, talking about this person that's going to be bruised for our iniquities and chastised, uh, the chastising our peace is going to be upon him. And then in chapter number 61, where uh, the Bible says that uh, the Spirit of the Lord hath come upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. And Jesus himself, when he's sitting in the seat of Moses, begins to quote those verses, and they know exactly what he means uh, when he stands in that place and begins to quote Isaiah chapter number 61. And the Bible even says in the book of Isaiah that uh, with his death he made the wicked, but with his death he's gonna, uh, his grave is going to be with the rich. And, and uh, the Bible tells us, of course, Joseph Arimathea came, he was a wealthy man, and he begged for the body of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing it is, what a wonderful book it is, but here is an episode uh, right in the middle of the beginning of the book of Isaiah where he says, I want to tell you about something that happened in my life. There came a time and a point in my life where my eyes had seen the king. I saw God in a way that I'd never seen him before. And let me tell you tonight, if there's ever going to be revival in your heart and in your life, there's going to have to come a point where you're going to have to see God like you've never seen him before. There were times in scripture where the Bible says the word of God was magnified in people's eyes. Does that mean there was more of it? Not necessarily. Does it mean there was a greater preacher? Not necessarily. But there came a point sometime where the Word of God and the God of the Word became magnified in people's eyes and they saw the Word and they saw the Father differently than they had ever seen Him before. It's akin to this. I remember the first time we uh, went to the hospital with our little boy, Aaron, and he didn't want to come out. He was, he was having a good time and, and uh, didn't want to come out of mommy's belly. And so uh, he was induced later. And I remember uh, standing there, and many of you have been through that situation, and, you, and uh, you, you, your wife gives birth to this little bitty boy, and you love him, and uh, immediately you love him. And, and, uh, but there's something about uh, uh, seeing, being in that room. And, and if you're like me, you begin to see your wife in a way that you never saw her before. And, and I don't mean crazier than usual. And, uh, but I'm talking about just, just when somebody is willing to bring new life into this world and you see them go through the pains of labor and then somehow crazily three years later she's like, I want another one of those rugrats. And I'm like, God bless you. And, uh, and aren't you glad that men can't have babies? Amen. And, uh, well, nowadays you can't. Never mind. But, uh, but, uh, but we know what the Bible says. We're going to clear that up real quick sometime this week here. Uh, but the, could you imagine that? And, and men have a baby. I'm telling you, we'd be one and done. China wouldn't have to come up with a one-child policy. We would fall right in line with them right there. And it's amazing. When you go through some things together, you begin to see that person in ways like you never saw him before. And I ask you tonight, when was the last time you had a glimpse of God and you saw him like you never saw him before? Not asking about the window was the last time you went through your Bible uh, 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 reading time like you do every day and you just kind of paged through it and you just kind of got through it and you prayed some little simple prayer. And and listen, I know what it's like too. I'm a Christian just as much as you are. I know what it's like to get to the point in my life where I'm just going through the motions of it all. Because I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, I read my Bible. Because I know I'm supposed to go to church, I go to church. Because I know I'm supposed to pray, I kind of pray some simple little prayer. And uh, especially before I eat, amen, rub-a-dub-dub, and thanks for that grub right there. And uh, I had my grandmother one time, she almost smacked me into the next world. I said, Grandma, can I pray for dinner? She said, baby, sure you can. I said, good Lord, good meat, good food, let's eat. And uh, and, uh, anyways, and, uh, I, but after a couple days, I got my sight right back there where it was again. But I'm saying tonight, uh, when is it going to come to place in your life when you're going to see God in a way that you've never seen him before? 
remember reading and hearing and preached about these men of God who would have, I remember hearing about the book, Deeper Experiences of Greater Christians. Remember, I got a hold of a book several years ago, and I, recommend, I always recommend it to every preacher boy that I know of, Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. Books like Meet for Men and With Christ in the School of Prayer and Andrew Murray and some of the Ian Bound books on prayer. And it just seemed like, preacher, these men saw God in a way that is very rare these days. It seems like in our day and age, we want the latest how-to conference, don't we? It seems in our day and age, we don't have young men who want a prayer closet. We want many. We got young men who want the pulpit. It seems in our day and age where we're no longer walking out into the woods and not coming back until we've caught a glimpse of him and we know that we've met with him and he has met with us. Uh, it seems to us like I want to call my buddies and find out what their latest methodology is and I want to find out what their latest uh, church growth conference is all about and, and find out what's the latest guy they're reading about and, and what new doctrine has come along. But I believe if there's going to be a revival in our day and age, if there's going to be a revival in our church, we don't need a glimpse of the latest church building guru. We don't need a glimpse of the latest book that somebody wrote. Uh, what we need is an old-fashioned glimpse of the God of heaven seeing him for who he is. But the Bible said something else had to happen first. In verse number one, he said this, here what happened. Here's when I saw God in the year that King Uzziah died. He said there was something about when Uzziah died that once he got out of the way, I was able to see God for who he is. I've been preaching much out of 2 Chronicles. I, I believe it's 2 Chronicles chapter uh, number 26 about King Uzziah. There's a, there's a message I've been preaching on. And every time preachers hear me mention the title, then they want me to preach on this during their, at their church. But it's called Not My Circus, Not My Monkeys. And, uh, and, and I'm telling you, it's crazy, but here's what happened with King Uzziah. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit here. But the Bible says that he began to reign in Jerusalem. And I believe he reigned, I believe it was 52 years that he reigned in Jerusalem. And he had a great time. And the Bible says that he cleared up all the idols. And he got rid of the junk that wasn't supposed to be there. He started getting people right with the Lord. He reinstituted the, the Sabbath days and all these different things happening. He built up the wilderness places. He digged wells in the wilderness. And the Bible says he had success in the city, outside of the city. He built much of even some of the things I saw in Jerusalem today. He built up the walls there. And you remember when you were there, preacher, on a lot of the top of the walls, especially on that Temple Mount, uh, you'll see that little slit in the middle of those concrete pillars there. And he was one of the men to build up those. And the Bible says he created engines there. Those are those catapults and those ones that come, that draw the arrow back by, by the little hand crank there. And where the enemy, they could hit the enemy, but the enemy could not. The Bible says he did, a, he did awesome. It was wonderful. The Bible says he was marvelously helped, watch this, until he was strong. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Kind of reminds you of the verses God said about King Saul, doesn't it? When thou was little in thine own eyes, then you were great. And I tell you, some of the, some of the greatest things to ever ruin Christianity is our successes. Some of the worst thing that could ever happen to a preacher or some evangelist in a ministry is for God begin to bless their ministry and folks begin to come in and they begin to get meetings here or there and the church coffers begin to be filled with money and they, they sound like that Laodicean church that's rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. But many times that makes us where we are blinded, where we are miserable, naked and wretched and blind and we don't even know it because it's been so long since we've seen him. We don't even realize where we stand. And I'm telling you, Christian, here tonight, the Bible said he was marvelously helped until he was strong. And the Bible says, then his heart was lifted up with pride. And he went into that temple and he began to burn incense at the altar. And thank God for a priest that withstood him. And the Bible says the priest, he got 80 other men of God together with him. And the Bible says they went in and they withstood King Uzziah. And here's what they said. It appertaineth not to thee. Uh, that's a fancy way to say it. That ain't none of your business to get down there. 
And it said, it appertaineth not to thee to burn incense, but to Aaron and his house and to the Kohathites. And they said, get out of here. And the Bible said the king, instead of getting right with God, he began to get angry at those men. You know what I noticed in preaching? Oftentimes, uh, when we should be getting right with God, we get angry about somebody preaching at us. When we should be repenting, uh, we were seeking how to get revenge against the man of God. But I'm going to tell you tonight, uh, they withstood him to the face uh, like Peter did, like Paul did to Peter when he was preaching false doctrine. And the Bible says he begins to be wroth. And he picks up the incense off of the altar. And the Bible says immediately leprosy begins to rise up in his skin. And they begin to cast him out. And the Bible says even he himself, when he realized what was happening, he went out and he died that day. And he lived in the rest of his life as a leper. And Isaiah, pointing back to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, he said, I'm going to tell you boys what happened after that. The year that King Uzziah died, that's when I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Could it be that not only Uzziah got, as we would say back home, got too big for his own britches, could it be that not only King Uzziah was marvelously helped until he was strong, but could it be that the nation of Israel began to depend on Uzziah instead of God? Could it be that even Isaiah, the prophet, and the man of God that he was, could it be that Isaiah himself stopped depending on the God of heaven and he started depending on Uzziah instead of pretending, instead of looking at God saying, hey, he that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor does he slumber. Could it be that Isaiah said, as long as we got Uzziah, we're going to be safe. And as long as we got Uzziah, we're going to be spiritual. And as long as we got Uzziah, our children are going to be safe. You know what I've all noticed in my life? It is oftentimes where I need to let my king die before I can see the true king for who he is. Could it be here tonight that you have some kings in your heart and life that are rising up in opposition to the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Could it be here tonight? And maybe yes, I, I, I remember, listen, I, every time an election comes around, I try to remind God's people. Just because somebody gets elected doesn't mean God ascended the throne again or that he fell off the throne. Now, I don't mean to remind you again here a second time this week, but you do know God's not watching the elections two years from now to figure out what he's going to do. You do know that, right? You do know that God didn't check in with Washington before he decided to move in or move out. You do know he's not going to check with the Supreme Court on whether he can come back. For the rapture or not. But oftentimes, here's what happens, preacher. It happens in my life, and I know because it happens with me. We start to get a president who claims Christianity at least, and there's a whole bunch of them that claim it. And they claim they got born again. And it's amazing. Nobody talks about being born again until it's election time. And they all get born again or, or want to share their conversion story right around. Uh, uh, what do they call those things? Uh, primary time. We're on the same channel. You just knew what I was preaching. They all get converted. They all want to go to these churches during primary time. And here's what happens with Christians. We get some old boy that starts talking and saying a few words that we recognize. And you know what we do is, oh, we got to vote for them. They're the second coming to John the Baptist, don't you know? And then they get voted in, and here's what we Christians do. Ah, well, I guess we're done with that. Come on, that's what we do. We relax because now that so-and-so is in office, now we don't have anything to worry about, do we? And we just kind of coast and we get apathetic. And then we get somebody crazy and we're like, oh, no, I guess we got to start going soul winning again. I guess we got to start preaching hard again. I guess we got to start living for God again. What if, what, if, what if God, listen to me tonight, what if God is an expert at removing your kings that you might see him again for who he is? What if God on September 11th, 2001, said, you Americans with your money, God, and your liberty gods and your constitution that some of you believe is just as inspired as the Bible is? What if God just said, huh, 
You say, do you believe God did not, not at all? God gave a free will to man. But I believe God was trying to use it in America's lives. You say, how do you know that? Because on September 12th, here's what we all were doing. We had Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. I'm talking about the God-hating party that voted God off of their platform. Back in 2001, on September 12th, they were joining hands with Mitch McConnell and all these other fellas singing, God bless America, on the steps of the Capitol. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? Could you imagine that today? <laughs> could you imagine asking the Wicked Witch of the West, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, could you, could you, could you imagine her? Singing, God bless America? God help us. They don't like God and many of them don't like America. But here they were when this tragedy came into our lives. They were calling for national days of prayer. They were calling for days of prayer and fasting. Even the bars in our town had God bless America on top of them. Maybe God was trying to use it to get America's attention to say, listen, maybe your king has to die so you can see me for who I am. And all of a sudden, not only did the buildings collapse, but our economy began to collapse. And God said, you can, trust, you can trust in your American dollar all you want to, but it can be gone that fast. Some of you knew what it was like to go through 2007 and 2008, and we're getting ready to, many people were getting ready to retire, and all of a sudden, all of their retirement was gone that fast. Maybe it was God trying to tap some of them on the shoulder saying, I'm still here. I'm still here. Maybe you got a king in your life that needs to die. So is it wrong having money? No. Is it wrong having freedom? No. Is it wrong to have so many conservative in office? Absolutely not. I love when it happens. But guess what? That's not my God tonight. And I'm not going to let my life be ruined by who's going to get elected or who doesn't get elected in the next election. Guess what? I'm still going to go soul winning. I'm still going to read my Bible. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to preach by the grace of God. I still want to be living for God. Why? Because I want no king but him. Maybe you're king here tonight. Maybe some of you got a king called money. Maybe some of you, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense to you. I think God can kick that money God out from under you real quick. You, you ever remember that expression they gave us back in 2008? Too big to fail. Well, we can't, we can't let Merrill Lynch go down. We can't let Neiman Marcus go down. We can't let uh, Berkshire Hathaway go down. They're just too big to fail. Mm. Maybe God's knocking on your door tonight saying, you know, there's some people preacher that won't serve God because their God is money. They won't come to a church like this that will take up an offering because their God is money. And I'll tell you how stupid that is. Here, here, here's how crazy we are. We come to the church. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask this. And I, want you to, I want you to be truthfully honest with me tonight, church. How many of you, before, when you came into the building tonight, you paid the door cover charge? How many paid the cover charge? You didn't? He made me come in and pay it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? None of you were charged to come in this building. None of you, we didn't put a knife or a gun to your throat when that offering plate came around. I'm going to later because it was for me. But uh, none of us put a gun or, or a knife to your head and said, you better give. And if you don't give, we're going to call you out. And yet the church is the one accused of money, being money hungry all the time. Try that with your grocery store. Here's what you do next time. Everybody that's offended by taking offerings in church, here's what you do. Next time you go to a grocery store, put your cart full of stuff, roll down there to the checkout counter, and when they say, uh, how would you like to pay for this cash or credit, you say, oh, you people are all about money. That's all you ever talk about in this place is money, 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 money. I'm going to another grocery store down the street because they don't talk about money at that grocery store. But isn't that silly? But I'm going to tell you who does that. It's the people whose money is their God. I'm going to tell you why certain young people won't surrender to the Lord. Because they're money God. 
Isn't it amazing? They can watch God take care of people time after time after time after time after time again. And yet, they won't serve the Lord because they're going to be poor. You know who that is talking? That's your money, God, talking. Because the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. I mean, I've, I've been to places as the broke preacher. I've been to places that some people that make five times what I make haven't been to. Could you imagine? I've preached in the Bahamas for the last five years. I got paid to hang out on a beach in the Bahamas. See, when you don't make money, your God, you'll be amazed at where God takes you. For some of you, it's your money. For some of you, it's your career. For some of you, it's your stuff and your boats and your houses. And, and there's, let me say this tonight. That I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having money. Listen to me and make this very clear so you don't misunderstand anything that I'm saying here tonight. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having money. There is absolutely something wrong with money having you. Did you hear me tonight? There's nothing wrong with God bless you. Listen, I've got, I've got several friends that are multimillionaires here tonight. Uh, not in here, but uh, I've got several friends that are multimillionaires. God has blessed their buildings. Uh, God has blessed their, 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 uh, uh, their, their businesses there. I, listen, I don't despise the goodness of God, but listen to me. There is a difference between somebody that may have some money in their pocket or some money in their account and somebody that money has them. You say, how do I know the difference? Okay. Is your money more important than church? Is your money more important than your family? Is your money more important than your prayer time? Is your money more important than you doing what's right? Is your money more important than your integrity? You might have a money God. For some of you, it's a boy or a girl, isn't it? Or oh, it's very easy to let them become our gods. Man, if I could just have her. Oh, man, if I could just have him. It's amazing. We look at Hollywood, don't we? We look at the actresses in Hollywood and the musicians of Hollywood, and we look at them and we say, oh, man, oh, if I could have, man, if I just had her, man, I'm going to tell you, if I could have him, oh, my goodness. Isn't it amazing? We look, at, we look at the world and we say that, and why is it that her first three husbands didn't stay with her then? You know, the, the big one when I was growing up was J-Lo. Oh, man, Jennifer Lopez and all the guys. Man, Jennifer Lopez, I'm going to tell you, man. Blah, blah, blah. Then why has she been married five times? What do they know that you don't know? Maybe they figured out that she's not God. Maybe they figured out she's not all that she's cracked up to be. But that's human nature, isn't it? We always want what we don't have. We always want the grass is always greener on the other side. But can I tell you, it might be because it's artificial turf. It's fake. Some of us need to figure that out because for some of us, it's a boy or a girl. And therefore, when you get that boyfriend, I've seen people that are single, that, that go to church week after week after week. They're single. They're faithful to God. And all of a sudden, a boy or a girl comes into their life, and they're gone that fast. We found out who God was, didn't we? Listen, if you're single here tonight, uh, you ought to get somebody that wants to get you in church, not out of church. If you're, listen, I, and I don't know who's single, I don't know who's not, I'm not checking fingers here tonight, but I'm just saying, uh, that girl that you like, that boy that you like, uh, they ought to push you towards God, they ought to push you towards worship, they ought to push you towards serving Him. For some of you, it's your sports, isn't it? We, we have people, we have people in our church, I mean, they won't, if football season's on, you, you ain't gonna see them Sunday night. Boy, don't you know the Packers are playing? Listen, I, if you stay home from church, I hope they lose every game, except for against the Bears. <laughs> other than that, they can lose every other game. And amazing, we, we fight each other over stupidity, like who we're rooting for. Why? It's our God. For some, it's our education. For some, it's friends. For some, it's entertainment. For some, it's social media. You know how you can tell? You wake, you wake up early and stay up late, don't you? For some, it's online video gaming. And they don't care what sleep they have to sacrifice. I'm talking about, we, we got men in our church. I'm talking about, we, we had a man in our church. Listen, his family dressed like they were from, I mean, they were the poster child for Salvation Army and Goodwill. But he would buy himself $250 gym shoes because he just had to have them. Because sports and stuff was his God. 
And he didn't care what it cost anybody else. It sounds like a missionary, doesn't it, who just doesn't matter what anything costs. He just wants to serve God. Isn't it amazing how we sell out for everything else? What, what, what's your God tonight? Who's sitting on the throne of your heart tonight? Who is it that if you were going to see God for who he is, that that person would have to move out of the way or that thing would have to move out of the way for you to see him clearly for who he is? You know, for Christians today, I don't mean I'm trying to get back to my message here because I got three points. For some today, it's that bottle right now. And we got preachers and we got Christians justifying alcohol more than we have ever had in the last 20, 20, 30 years of Christianity. You know why? Because that bottle's their God. Why don't some of you get honest and just say, I want to be a drunken fool, and I don't really care what the Bible says. And for some of them, they will justify everything. And uh, I said, I, one fellow, he said one time, he said, uh, he said, well, he was trying to justify marijuana use, and his big thing was uh, weed, weed, weed. And he was a Bible college student, or well, he was before, and uh, he was a Bible college student at the, at the time, and he's arguing with me over about weed. And he said, oh, the Bible says every herb-bearing seed is for our consumption. I said, you really believe that? And I said, number one, you're not in the Garden of Eden, but I said, you really believe that applies right now? He said, oh, yes, I do. Then I said, I better see you, next time I see you, I better see you with a big old plate of poison ivy. Well, well, no, you said every herb bearing seed is for your consumption. So, buddy, you better get a good plate of it and get some ranch dressing to wash it down. But what it is is, see, his God is weed. He just didn't want to say it. His God was getting high. He just didn't want to admit it. Can I tell you in my life, I hate it. I hate it, but if I had to admit to you here tonight... There are some things that have risen up in my life at times and they've become my gods and we stay up late for them and we sacrifice to them and we sacrifice for them like we used to do to God. Some of you used to wake up in the morning and read your Bible, but now you wake up in the morning you got to get social media. For some of you used to stay up late at night and spend time in prayer and reading the Bible, but now with that boy or that girl or that man or woman, they've taken the place of the Bible in your life. I'm telling you tonight, what king in your life needs to die? you might see the king for who he is and what he is. Here's what Isaiah saw. We're just getting to the message tonight. Isaiah said, number one, he saw the king's position. He saw the king's position. Here's what he said. He said, I saw him and he was high and he was lifted up. I saw the king sitting on high. And I ask you here tonight, how high is the king in your life? How, how lofty is he to you? How big is he to you tonight? Is he your everything? Or is he just kind of like your side chick? That's how we treat the Lord sometimes, don't we? We treat him like he's an afterthought. When the Bible says that when the angels would worship him, he said, when I saw him, he was high and lifted up. And I believe part of my ministry has been all these years of evangelism and preaching is to make Jesus high and lifted up. It's amazing how much of a cheap downward view we have of our God. But the Bible says this, taste and see the Lord, he is good. He is good. The Bible says his name is a strong tower. And the Bible says great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. He's great. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The Lord liveth. Psalm chapter 18 and verse 43, uh, 46. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. First uh, Timothy 1 Timothy 1.17. And now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Revelation chapter 5, thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive blessing and glory and honor and praise. For thou hast created all things. And by thy word are they created. How high is he lifted up in your eyes here tonight? 
Is he worthy? Is he worthy of an hour of your time of prayer? Is he worthy of a 10 minutes in the morning of reading the Bible? Is he worthy of showing up for a revival meeting here tonight? Is he worthy of singing praises to his name? Is he worthy of not just going through ritual worship, but actually singing a song and your face showing it and your spirit believing it? Is he worthy tonight? Is he worthy to write books about? Is he worthy to sing about? Is he worthy to give our lives to? I'm going to ask you tonight, is he high and lifted up in your life? Isaiah said, I saw the king's position. Then he said this, watch this, he saw the king's power. He saw the king's power. Here's what Isaiah said about him. Man, the whole earth, y'all don't understand this, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. You know what that means? That means this earth, he's so big, this earth can't even contain just his glory. You say, what's that? That's just his spirit. That's just his worshipfulness. That's just who part of who he is is his glory. And the Bible said the whole earth is full of his glory. The power of God. My God's so powerful, even the beings that worship him, the Bible says they shake the house with their voices. The Bible says the, verse, the voice of the Lord is as many waters. The Bible says this universe, all that is in this universe, as far as we know, they tell us the universe is six trillion light years across. And that's just our little Milky Way galaxy. But the Bible said that this entire universe is but a span to our God. That is a span right there. If this, if this universe is seven, I believe seven or 17 trillion miles, uh, light years across here, that means God, if you take, it says, the average man is seven of those that make up his height. That means your God, if he is the size of the universe as a span to him, your God is 49 trillion miles tall. And we ask him for those little prayer requests as if he's like some anemic little God who's crippled. My soul, do we need a revival of people seeing the power of God again? I wish somebody would start believing God to do God's stuff again. We ask God for these little prayers, our little answer to prayer. Oh, God, could you wake me up in the morning? And I get, I get it, listen, if you're talking about your health, I get that. But you got an alarm clock that can wake you up in the morning. I'll tell you what only God can do. Only God can save a soul. Only God can put a marriage together that's been broken apart. Only God can bring your wayward son or daughter back to him. Only God can take a church in Seattle, Washington or near Seattle, Washington and build a solid church. And only God can help you as you try to plant churches in this area that is so needy. Only God can do those things. And I believe that we as Christianity, we need to get back to praying God-sized prayers again. You know why? Because we don't believe, we've not seen his power yet. Davis, I forget who said, where it said it, I think it was A.W. Tozer that said it. He said, he said, I have tasted of the goodness of the power of God, and it has both filled me and left me thirsting for more. And I'm telling you, some of you need to get a hold of a God that is more powerful. I love it during the pandemic, and I got to hurry tonight. I remember during the pandemic, there was this little, matter of fact, it was before that, there was a little girl, and she was getting her shots for something else, and, and uh, her 84th booster shot. No, she was getting her shot for something else, and she was, I don't know, I don't know what kind of background she had, but she must have been the church-going girl little black girl and she's she's there and that and, and they're trying to give her her little you know uh whatever measles shot or whatever it is and and they got the needle there and they're getting ready to shoot her up and she's like oh and she's crying her mom just like I was last week and she's like oh and uh she began to say my God is so big so strong and so mighty there's nothing my God cannot do my God is so big. Remember that old song we used to sing it in rally times at church? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And he got closer with that needle. And she said, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong. And he got closer. She got faster. She said, oh, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. And she was praising so much. She was worshiping. She didn't even know when she got a shot. You know what I wish our Baptist churches would do? My God is so big, so strong, so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. 
My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. But we sit back and we act like God is on social security somewhere on an island and he doesn't want to hear from us. Let me tell you here tonight, my God is so big and he's so strong and he's so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. And Isaiah said, when Uzziah died, I saw that. I saw the power of God. Then he said this. He said, I saw the king's purity. Watch this. Verse number three, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. He said, man, I saw, I saw his purity. And he not only was holy, he's so holy it took three of them just to describe him. And I'm going to tell you, it does something. Every time I read that, holy. He's the purest of the pure. He is the righteous of the righteous. The holiness of God, it, it not only, the, when you talk about the holiness of God, it is not only that he is clean, it's that he demands righteousness. He cannot allow sin into his presence, the Bible says. He is the thrice holy God. The Bible says there is, no, there is no darkness in him, neither shadow of turning. He is so pure. We can't even imagine the purity that he has. And Josiah said, listen, he said, I saw him, and it was holy, holy, holy. And here was his response. Ready for it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then said I, look at verse 5, woe is me, woe is me. See, Isaiah's response to the holiness of God was, woe is me, I'm undone. Look what he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Because watch this. When you see the king for who he is, you will start to see yourself for who you are. Notice what happened before he saw the king of kings. Flip back one chapter. Look at chapter 5, and if you don't type 5 and verse 8. Woe unto them. Look at verse 11. Woe unto. Verse number 18. Woe unto Verse number 20, woe unto. Verse number 21, woe unto. Verse 22, can you guess? Woe unto. You know, it's amazing. Before he saw the king, here's what he looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woe unto them, and 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 woe unto them. But when he saw the king of kings, it was no longer woe unto them. It was woe unto me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I tell you, one of the truest marks on whether you've seen the king of kings for who he is, is your humility and your view of yourself. My son, I've often said this. My son is about three or four inches taller than I am. And he loves it. And just like your son, I'm sure, they always, especially when they hit that, my son at 12 years old was eyeball to eyeball with me. And as soon as he passed me up, he let me know. Real quick. And the other time I'm around, what's up, Dad? You say, what do you do? You just hit him in the stomach. They get shorter than you again. around strutting like a peacock but you know my little brother my younger brother is 10 and a half years almost 11 years younger than I am my younger brother though is 6'5 and he's about 300 pounds he's a big old boy you know what my son doesn't do when he's around my brother he doesn't go hey uncle Isaiah I have an illustration. If you were to see me after church tonight, I've got an illustration that I, when, I, when I preached a message similar to this in our church, 
I have my son stand beside me, and he'd get that arrogant look on his face. And then I said, uh, Brother Tom, come up here. You say, who's Brother Tom? Brother Tom is a member of our church that's a Milwaukee police officer. And Brother Tom is 6'10". And he's not even the tallest person in our church. He's not even the tallest of his siblings. He's got two brothers taller than him, one seven foot, one seven foot one. You know what, I, you know what my, my son Aaron doesn't do when he's around Brother Tom? He's like, how's the air up there? <laughs> yes, officer, give me the ticket now. I will take it. You know, it's no wonder the Bible says no flesh will glory in his presence. But I'm going to tell you what happens to us as human beings, and I'm done. I'm going to tell you what happens to human beings. The further we get away from God, the more impressed we get with ourselves. And I can usually tell when Aaron hasn't been around Brother Tom in a long time because he starts getting that look again. He starts strutting again. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how we know some of our independent Baptist brethren haven't been around God. It's because they're strutting. And Isaiah said, when I saw him, here's what, here's what preachers want me to preach a lot of times when I go to churches. And I tell them, if this is the kind of preacher you want me to be, then book somebody else. But they want me to come in and they want me to preach against everybody out there. And man, I'll tell you, if I preach against queers, they'll, shame, they'll, they'll, they'll hang from the chandeliers. But if I preach on pride and gossip, we get real quiet. If I preach on lustfulness of our hearts, we just get real quiet. But Al, don't you know? Hollywood. But Al, don't you know? Washington, D.C. But Al, don't you know? Extreme Islam. I'm more worried about complacent Baptists than I am extreme Islam. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's been a long time since some of us pulled up close to him. Oh, it's me. I'm so, I, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. You know, I wish that was the attitude of the Christians I preach to all the time. But most of them have the attitude, oh, I got this from God. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. We better get back to the place where woe is me. And I'm going to tell you, you'll, you will never, you will never have revival in your heart until you get back to woe is me. I'll just mention this. He said he saw the king's purity, but he didn't leave him there saying, woe is me. The Bible said he told one of those angels, he said, I want you to get one of those tongs off of the altars. And he said, I saw the king's purging. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to take one of those tongs off of the altar and you go put it on his lips. And he said, he began to purify my lips. Do you know what this week of revival is all about? I'll borrow your Bible for two seconds, preacher. This week of revival is all about God sending one of his servants, one of his angels. With a burning ember off of the altar. And his job is to take this burning ember and put it on you. And begin to purify you. And that's why when the preacher hits you and God begins to stir something in your heart, just realize it's not the preacher. It's not me. It might be that God allowed me to take the burning embers off of the altar and begin to put it on you that he might purify you. He said, I saw the king's purging. Maybe we're having a revival this week because you got some stuff in your life that needs to be purged. And then he said, lastly, he said, I saw the king's purpose. Because as soon as he purified him, here's what he said. Here am I. God asked the question, who will he send? Who will go for us? And he said, it's me. I'll do it. Here's my invitation to you tonight. Would you get to the place in your Christianity and life that you would say three things? Here is what I believe is the key to revival in your heart this week.
Number one, Lord, show me you. Show me you. You know, I see these little kids over here, and he's having fun, and, and uh, yeah, I'm pointing at you too. And uh, as we see these little kids over here, you know what my desire when my kids were that age, brother? My heart's desire was, man, I want God to be real to them. I want, I got so much, I got short years. I got one more year with my son in high school. Man, it goes by fast. And those of you that have had, you got kids that are married, it goes by fast. And I, God, I want you, but God, I want you to be real to me first. Lord, would you show me some of you? Would you show my, what if we had husbands tonight say, God, would you be real in my house again? I'm tired of a dead religion. I'm tired of dead worship. I'm tired of dead revival. I'm tired of dead singing. I'm tired of dead preaching. God, show us some of you. And number two, show me myself. Show me myself. When was the last time you said, search me, oh God. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in my neighbor, in my wife, in my kids, in the freaks and geeks in Seattle, in Hollywood, in Washington. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you ask God tonight to show you you? I said a long time ago, Lord, I don't want there to be any room in my heart that you cannot go into. Lastly, God, show me others. Show me others. You see, because some of you that won't do the first two, God can never use you in the lives of others. And I believe you got a bunch of people that aren't serving Christ right now. We've got empty Sunday school classes. We've got empty van routes and empty bus routes. We've got empty Sunday school classrooms. We've got empty Christian school classrooms. We've got empty pulpits today because we've not even done the first two to say, God, I want to see you. God, show me myself and then show me others. It's not about you. God not only doesn't want to, God doesn't only want to cleanse you. God doesn't only want to purge your life so you can sit there like some little sanctimonious Christian. He wants to see you, he wants you to see his purity and his position that he may use you and purge you and then use you in somebody else's life. Our heads about our eyes are closed here tonight.